0: Pray with me, please. Give me Jesus, Lord. Give me Jesus. You can have all the rest. Just give me Jesus. Amen. Maybe I can get away with telling this joke. It's a little bit beyond the pale, but we've been together now for working on three years, so maybe I'll take a chance. It's the story of a little boy who was dragging his toy wagon along the sidewalk And he happened to pass in front of the preacher's house. The preacher was sitting on the front porch. Right at that moment, the wheel fell off the wagon and started rolling down the hill. The little boy said, I'll be damned. The preacher jumped up from the porch and he said, son, you ought not to be speaking like that. You need to clean up your language. The little boy promised that he would try. Next day, same place, same thing happened. The wheel fell off the wagon, started rolling down the hill. Without even thinking, the little boy instinctively cried, I'll be damned. The preacher then jumped up and he said, son, that's enough. You have to stop talking like that. I'm going to tell you what you have to do. The next time that wagon loses its wheel or anything else bad happens to you in life, you need to cry out, praise the Lord. You'll discover how much better that is for you. The little boy promised to try. Next day, wouldn't you know, he's rolling his wagon down the sidewalk right in front of the preacher's house. The preacher's sitting up on the porch. Wouldn't you know the same thing happens again? The wheel comes off the wagon, starts to roll down the hill. The little boy takes a sidelong glance at the preacher on the porch, and the little boy cries, Praise the Lord! Whereupon, the wheel stops rolling down the hill, turns around, rolls back up the hill, over to the axle on the wagon, and reattaches itself. And the preacher said, I'll be damned. (laughs) I warned you. I warned you. (laughs) Yikes, I might be looking for work next week. It is true, though, isn't it? that God indeed does do some very dramatic things in this world of ours. I want to suggest to you, however, that among the dramatic things God does are the things that he does in your heart and in mine. I want to suggest to you that the real mighty acts of God occur on the inside. I think there's something of that flavor in this marvelous account in Acts chapter 1, where we are told what Peter did after the betrayal and subsequent death of Judas Iscariot. The disciples had gathered together. They recognized that Something had to be done in light of their changed circumstances. It wasn't that point that Peter took the initiative. Peter said, there are great days ahead for the church. We need to be operating at full strength. Therefore, we need to elect someone to replace Judas. Peter then went on to describe the two requirements which must be possessed by the person elected to replace Judas. Now what I want you to understand is that I believe, interestingly enough, that those two marks are in fact the marks which always will be present in the lives of those who are the true disciples of Jesus Christ let me try to show you what I mean the first requirement for a true disciple Peter tells us is to know Christ listen again to how Peter expressed it he said it is necessary To choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. In other words, Peter is saying that the true disciple of Jesus is one who knows Jesus. Not just someone who knows about Jesus, but someone who knows Jesus. Someone who has spent time with Jesus. Someone who has walked and talked with Jesus. Someone who knows Jesus intimately and personally. Someone who has experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ in life. That's the first mark of a true disciple, to know Christ. Now, let me ask you to ponder for just a moment this Jesus of ours. He lived in a rough, tough, difficult, challenging time. He was relatively poor. He came from a minority group. He was not well educated, even by the standards of his day. He was single, never knew the companionship of a spouse, never knew the joy of having Children of his own. He was rather consistently prosecuted, persecuted, reviled, ridiculed throughout his public experience. He died relatively young. And yet, for all of that, Jesus was and is the single most powerful, dynamic, influential figure who has ever graced the dust of this earth. Why is that true? I believe it is in part because Jesus possessed the power to take ordinary people and transform them into extraordinary disciples. Jesus saw sickness as an opportunity for healing. Sin is an opportunity for forgiveness. Sorrow is an opportunity for compassion. Jesus brought hope to the hopeless. Comfort to the uncomfortable. Cleansing to those who had been corrupted. Jesus had the knack of taking the sheer junk of our human experience and transforming it and us into things of great beauty and power and significance in life. To know Christ is to know Christ's transforming power. Wendell Johnson was a noted American cultural anthropologist. At one point in his career, he undertook a rather extensive study of the customs and the habits of the Hopi Indian tribe out in the southwestern corner of our country. While there, he developed a great affection for the Hopi people, and they did for him as well. So much so that when his work was done and it was time for him to leave, they actually had a farewell festival for him. He writes so wonderfully of that experience. But then he goes on to say that for him the most moving moment of all was when an old Hopi woman came up to him and threw her arms around him and gave him a great big bear hug and then said to him, I like me best when I am with you. Do you hear that? I like me best when I am with you. That's what the true disciple of Jesus Christ can say. Because, you see, Jesus elevates our vision. Jesus exalts our spirit. Jesus changes the way we live, and Jesus changes the way we understand ourselves in the midst of that living. And so the true disciple can always say, Jesus, I like me best, when I am with you. That's what it means to know Christ. That's the first mark of a true disciple of the Lord. Now, the second requirement for a true disciple, Peter tells us, is to make Christ known. Not only to know Christ, but to make Christ known. Listen again to what Peter had to say. He said, the one chosen must become a witness with us of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you hear what he's saying there? He is saying uh, that not only is it important for the true disciple to know Christ Personally in experience, but also then to be willing to tell others about this Jesus. And so the true disciple not only knows Jesus, but also shows Jesus. The true disciple is a witness to who Jesus is. And always will be. Now, it's very important here, I think, for me to draw in your mind a distinction between an advocate and a witness. An advocate is a person who can defend a proposition or an argument without being personally involved in it. For example, Bertrand Russell, the great mathematician and philosopher, was an avowed atheist. And yet Bertrand Russell for all of his life said, the only hope for the world is that people should live as Christians. Isn't that amazing? I mean, here he was, an atheist, but advocating the Christian lifestyle. He was defending something he had never himself experienced. Well, an advocate is okay, but a witness is better. A witness is different. A witness always witnesses out of the depth of a personal experience. And that's why the word of the witness always carries a greater weight. And so the witness for Jesus Christ is the person who has been personally involved with Jesus in life. Here's what I want you to note. Peter is saying that the basis for discipleship is to know Christ. And the business of discipleship is to make Christ known. Now, I have to tell you, I rather frequently hear people in the church say things like this. Well, I never really say anything about Jesus in my life. No. I prefer just to let my belief in him shine through in the way that I live. I tell you, every time I hear that, I think about the old Irishman who was one day asked, are you saved? And the old boy said, well, my good fellow, to tell you the truth, I am. But it was such a narrow squeeze that it's not worth talking about. (laughs) Dear friends, let's be honest here. No one of us lives so splendidly that we could simply say that Jesus Christ shines through everything we say and do in life, so we don't even need to acknowledge him. We can just live our life and others will look at us and see Jesus. Let me label that for what it is. Sinful arrogance. To think for a single moment that the light and the Spirit and the glory of Jesus Christ can shine through our lives and only through the way we live is absolute foolishness. The reality is, if we are true disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to say so. We have to tell others about this Jesus we know and love. That's what it means, to be a witness for Jesus Christ, to make him known. That's the second mark of a true disciple. Well, Peter proposed this election, and the election was held, and they cast lots. Now, you do need to understand that that's the way frequently Uh, the early Christians made decisions. They cast lots because it was their belief that God, in his sovereignty, would act through the casting of lots and make his choice known. And so they cast lots. And the lot fell upon Matthias. Matthias became a disciple of Jesus Christ at a marvelous time in history. You see, the Roman Empire was just beginning its collapse, The empire of Jesus Christ was beginning to spread like sunshine throughout the world. It was a wonderful time to be a disciple. But you know what's so ironic? Once Matthias was elected, we never hear him again. Not one word about Matthias in the rest of the Bible. We have no earthly idea what great things he may have accomplished as a disciple of the Lord. But you know what? Even though that's true, what I want to do now is I want to dig back into history. And I want to lift up for you another instance of witnessing for Christ, which arose out of the early Christian church. As Christianity began to spread, it actually began to spread even among the soldiers of the Roman Legion. Many many of them wound up becoming Christians. There was one particular detachment of Roman soldiers, 40 of them to be exact, a very famous detachment of Roman soldiers, all of whom converted to Jesus Christ. Now these 40 soldiers were known all across the Roman legion because of their extraordinary abilities in the sport of wrestling. Understand please that the Roman army not only put emphasis on its military achievements but also on its athletic prowess. And that is why, very frequently, the Romans would conduct the equivalent of Olympic games, featuring a whole variety of sports. These 40 Christian wrestlers, that's the name that they chose for themselves, and that's the name by which they were known all over that part of the ancient world. These 40 Christian wrestlers always won the victory at the games. There came a point where the 40 Christian wrestlers were stationed in Switzerland. They're charged with defending the northernmost boundary of the Roman Empire. At that time, there came down an order from the Roman Emperor... That all Roman soldiers were to take an oath swearing allegiance to Caesar as the ultimate authority in life. Well those 40 Christian wrestlers knew that they could not and would not take that oath even though it would cost them their lives. They stood firm. The sentence of death was pronounced The sentence was to be carried out in the following manner. Those 40 Christian wrestlers were to be stripped and sent out onto the frozen surface of a Swiss lake in the night, there to die from the cold. It was the hope that as they watched their comrades succumb to the cold, that some of them at least might recant and return to the shore where the other Roman soldiers were camped. That night, as the soldiers on the shore were warming their hands about the campfires, suddenly they heard rising up out of the silence above the lake, the sound of a song It was the song those 40 Christian wrestlers always sang whenever they were engaged in military conflict or in athletic competition. The words of the song were these, 40 Christian wrestlers wrestling for Thee, O Christ. For Thee we claim the victory. From Thee we claim the crown. All through the night, the sound of the song being sung grew fainter and fainter and fainter as one after another of the forty Christian wrestlers died in the cold. Not long before the dawn, the last remaining of the forty Christian wrestlers came crawling to the shore. And he said to the Roman commander, Sire, I do not wish to die. I will worship Caesar. The Roman commander looked at him and said, The courage and the faith of your comrades this night has made me a Christian. You have proved a coward. I will take your place. And with that, the commander, Stripped off his clothing and walked out onto the ice. And they heard the single voice lifted to heaven One Christian wrestler wrestling for thee, O Christ. For thee I claim the victory. From thee I claim the crown. Do you see? The flag of Jesus Christ never hit the ground. It passed from one hand to another, to another. And so it has been for more than 2,000 years. Here, I would submit, is one of the greatest miracles of them all that generation after generation throughout the course of human history generation after generation, those who have known Christ, have made Christ known. And that is why today I believe that Jesus Christ is asking us, who will be my true disciple? God grant that we may answer as Isaiah did, You remember, God said, whom will I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah responded, here I am, Lord. Send me. Today, the Lord Jesus Christ is asking us, who will be my true disciple in this world? My beloved people, say it in your heart. Even as I say it, Aloud. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Amen and amen.